Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. We've spent so much time uh, the last two weeks or so talking about the Packers. We've been talking about the Brewers, college football, college basketball. We really haven't given the Bucks much love. We haven't talked much about the Bucks at all. And I think it's about time we start to do so. You look at where the Bucks stand, 10-3, and three, first in their division, near the top of the Eastern Conference, only trailing the 11-2 and two Boston Celtics, right? They're playing great. They're winning a lot of games, even with Chris Middleton out. We haven't really talked about it. And it's easy to ignore the NBA right now because we're so caught up in the NFL and how great the NFC is. And the Badgers are back. And, and Badger football is on a collision course for Minnesota. It looks like here in a week and a half for the Big Ten West. We have a lot going on. We got to start paying attention to the Bucks Because they're even better than their 10-3 and record would indicate. I'll explain coming up here in a minute or two. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. You want to join the conversation? You always can. You're always welcome. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. We're going to talk Packers today. We're even going to talk a tiny little bit of high school football before six o'clock, but I want to focus on the Bucks. I want to spend some time digging into the Bucks. And I said that the Bucks are even better than their 10 and three record would indicate, right? Most people would say you're as good as your record says you are. In this case, I think the Bucks are actually better than their record says they are. Because if you look at the NBA standings, of course, split between the Eastern and the Western conferences. Yeah, divisions exist. They don't really mean a whole lot, right? Other than who you play more often than who you don't play. And I I guess some teams hang division championship banners, whatever, right? 99% of people focus on conferences and that's it because that's how the the playoffs are decided. That's how seeding is decided. The Bucs are second in the Eastern Conference behind only the Boston Celtics who are playing incredibly good basketball right now. They're 11 and two and they're nine and one in their last 10. They are red hot. The Bucs only trail the Celtics by one game. And, and here's why I think that they're even better that they're 10 and 3 and second place spot in the Eastern Conference. They're even better than all of those numbers and statistics and placements would indicate. Now, I, I first noticed this today. It was pointed out uh, by our friend Brian Sampson. You may know him better uh, as Bucks Film Room on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. Lives right here in Lacrosse, covers the Bucks for Forbes. Right, uses analytics, uses film to take a really, really uh, mathematical approach. Right, he's not he's not a columnist. He, he doesn't write opinions. He he writes what the numbers say. And, and if you read his work, and you should at Forbes, and you can find him on Twitter at Keystroker, or that's myself, Keystroker Grant. You can find him at Bucks Film Room. If you read his work, it's very cut and dry, and every claim, every argument that is made has statistical evidence to back it up. And and this jumped out to me in his article that he released today about Sterling Brown. Did you know that the Bucks have the league's toughest schedule to date? And I had to check this. There's a link in the article. Like I said, anything you read by Brian, by Bucks Film Room, it is backed in evidence. It's backed in statistics, analytics, film. There's always evidence, right? There's always something backing up these claims. And, and I went and looked, and yeah, According to the RPI rankings, Milwaukee has had the toughest schedule so far. Their strength of schedule weighs in at .552 in front of Phoenix, in front of Sacramento, in front of Miami. 
So not only are the Bucks the second best team in the Eastern Conference right now at 10 and 3, playing really good basketball and trailing only the red hot Celtics, they have done so and won all those games without Chris Middleton, all while playing the most difficult schedule to date in the NBA. And if you want to look at that Boston Celtics team, focus on that Boston Celtics team that are leading the Bucks by game, you have to go all the way down to 21st in strength of schedule. Their strength of schedule rounds in at a .485 compared to the Bucks .552. The Bucs have played really well through a, a pretty difficult stretch. In fact, the most difficult stretch in the entire league up until this point. Now, that will fluctuate, and by the end of the season should even out, right? Because everybody's going to play everybody. I know there's some disparity between the conferences, but for the most part, right, by the end of the year, you expect that stuff to balance out. But up until this point, only 13 games in, in the, in the, in the case of the Bucs, Right, winning games at an impressive number without your second best player while facing the most difficult schedule in the league. Now, the Bucks' schedule does get easier. In fact, it gets much easier coming up. And we've taken some time to, to peek ahead. I haven't looked past Christmas, but we kind of have Christmas as a landmark, and we're looking what's coming between now and Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? The Bucks' schedule actually gets pretty easy, and they've had some some easier games mixed in there, right? They played in Oklahoma City, a game where the Thunder gave them Basically everything they could handle. Saturday's game against the Pacers where the Bucks just pistol whipped Indiana. That that was a really impressive performance. They beat Chicago the other night by 14. Now, and once again, I, I'm looking forward to Christmas. They have games in Atlanta. That's tonight. That game's going to be at 6.30. So the pregame's going to start just as the Wisco Sports Show wraps up. They host Detroit. They host Atlanta. They play Cleveland, Charlotte, the Knicks. The Pistons again, they have the Magic, they have the Grizzlies, they have the Cavaliers, they have the Knicks again before Christmas, all leading up to that matchup at Philadelphia on Christmas. Now, they do have a a difficult game or two mixed in there. They do play the Clippers at home on on December 6th, assuming Kawhi Leonard plays, that should be a pretty difficult game, right? That's a good opponent. And they host Utah coming up next week, but other than that, the Bucs have a very, very manageable portion of their schedule coming up. Now, Middleton should be returning for some of those big games. I don't know exactly when Middleton is set to return. But you you imagine at this point he's going to be back by Christmas. He might, who knows, be back by December 6th. Maybe. Not sure. I'm not sure how that in- injury is progressing. We don't have that information. But for the foreseeable future, the Bucks have a really manageable portion of their schedule. And they're learning to play and they're learning to win without Chris Middleton. And I think this last year in sports, not just in basketball, but this last year in sports ha- has showed us that Injuries can can sometimes be a good thing. Now, I'm not arguing the Bucks are better without Chris Middleton, right? I'm a big Chris Middleton fan. I, I don't fault him for making the money that he is making, and I don't fuck, fault the, uh, the Bucks for paying him that money, right? But with Chris Middleton out, the, the Bucs are, are learning how to play a brand of basketball, a style of basketball, and they're learning how to win just a little bit differently, right? And I think playing without Chris Middleton might expedite the process slightly, of working in some players that were acquired over the offseason, right? Like Kyle Korver. Now, Dante DiVincenzo isn't a new acquisition, but missed a lot of last year with an injury. His playing time has been expanded, right? They've also added Robin Lopez and Wesley Matthews. That takes time. That takes time to integrate those players. And and the last year in sports, specifically in the NFL, I think has really showed us that, man, injuries, when they come at the right time and when they're handled correctly, can actually be beneficial for a team, right? That's good adversity to go through. If we just look at the NFL season so far, Devontae Adams getting hurt, man, the Packers had to learn how to play through their running game, had to learn how to target their fullbacks and tight ends in the passing game, right? Play a 
uh, obviously sometimes rely on their defense. Patrick Mahomes got hurt, and the Chiefs had to learn how to play through Matt Moore and, and involve Tyree Kill in ways that are other than just huge deep shots, right? And and I think you saw their defense improve a little bit, and, and Steve Spagnola have to kind of figure out how to coach differently because Pat Mahomes isn't in the game, right? Drew Brees missed a bunch of games, and look what the Saints did. They said, okay, we're going to focus on our running game. We're going to focus on our defense. So when Drew Brees comes back, his job's going to be easier, right? Because we've learned how to play and how to win differently. Christian Yelich injury is interesting. I, I think if Yelich gets hurt and comes back at some point, you could argue that the Brewers had to figure out ways to manufacture runs without their best hitter. Right now, Christian Yelich didn't come back, and, and I'm not arguing that the, uh, the Brewers got better without Christian Yelich. But injuries, when they happen at the right time and in the right portion of the schedule, and in the Bucks' case, this is definitely a great time for Chris Middleton to get hurt, this portion of the schedule coming up, it, it forces a team to improve. It forces a team to learn how to utilize other players, and especially coaches, it forces coaches to figure out how to utilize other players, right? And I think this is going to be a growing period for the Bucks. And then when Chris Middleton does come back, hopefully somewhere around December 6th, maybe for that Clippers game, but I got to imagine certainly he's back by Christmas. They play the Lakers on December 19th. Maybe that's a game Chris Middleton wants to be back for. But you got to think that Middleton's going to be back before some of those big games, and, and hopefully he is coming back to a Bucks team that has figured out a couple of things. Right, Coach Bud has figured out how to use Dante DiVincenzo and Wesley Matthews, and the team only gets better, obviously, when Chris Middleton comes back. I want to continue this discussion. I want to continue talking Bucks. You want? I want to get your thoughts. We're kind of checking in on the Bucks because they are ten and three, and they've played the league's most difficult schedule according to strength of schedule and NBA relative percent index. They've played the most difficult schedule. They're ten and three and second in the Eastern Conference. How do you feel right now about the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference, and maybe in comparison? To the West, the rest of the NBA as well. We'll continue talking the Bucks, talking about the Deer coming up next. We're also going to talk Packers and a little high school football tonight before we say goodbye as well. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're having a great night. Thanks for being here. Thanks for hanging out. We're talking basketball. We're talking Bucks, and and I started the show by saying, look, I, I don't think we're giving the Bucks enough credit. I don't think we're talking about the Bucks enough, and we've been so focused on the Packers, and we've talked Vikings and Bears as well. We've been talking about the Brewers and their New Jerseys, and the Bucks have kind of fallen by the wayside. They're ten and three. They're second in the Eastern Conference, and as I said earlier, they are doing so despite playing the toughest schedule in the entire NBA. Yes, the NBA relative percent index, calculating strength of schedule. All 30 teams, Milwaukee is one. And some of those Eastern Conference teams that they're competing with, specifically Boston, who is currently in first place, all the way down at 21st, Philadelphia at 19. So the Bucks road is going to get easier for the next couple of weeks. Even without Chris Middleton, I, I expect the winning to continue, and I think they're going to get better as a team being forced to play without Chris Middleton. And we talked about that a little bit as well. If you want to join the conversation and talk Bucks, you certainly can. I'd love to have you. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Do not forget the Bucks do play tonight. Uh, they travel to Atlanta. That game starts at 630. So the pregame is going to start at exactly 6 o'clock with Ted Davis and Justin Garcia and the entire Bucks radio network. So you can just... Hold tight however you're listening right now and enjoy some Bucks basketball right after the Wisco Sports Show as well. Taking a peek ahead at their schedule, it is very manageable. Like, that strength of schedule is going to get easier. It's going to get better. They have 
Hawks, the Blazers, Detroit. They host Utah, who's a good team, but don't have to travel out west to play them. Then they host Atlanta again. They get Cleveland, Charlotte, the Knicks, the Pistons. Look at those four teams in a row. Those four teams in a row. Cleveland, Charlotte, New York, and Detroit. Those are four of the worst teams in the NBA. Certainly four of the bottom dwellers in the Eastern Conference. And once again, just looking at the conference a little bit to try to paint the full picture. And it is split up by conferences, not like divisions in football. Right? The Celtics are number one at 11 and two. Then it goes Bucks 10 and three. Miami 9 and three. Toronto 9 and four. Philly at eight and five. The Pacers at eight and six. And then starts to get into the weeds a little bit with sub 500 teams. The Magic, the Hornets, the Nets, the Hawks, the Pistons, the Cavs, the Bulls, the Knicks, the Wizards. There's some bad teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. And there's some bad teams at the bottom of the Western Conference, too. Right now, last place in the West is the Golden State Warriors, which I don't think anybody predicted. To start this season, Portland's been pretty bad as well. The Thunder have been bad. I think the Suns will drop down there as well. They're currently at eighth. I don't expect that to continue. But the Bucks' schedule is going to get easier, and I think they're learning how to play without Chris Middleton. Coach Bud is learning how to implement and learning how to manage players like Wesley Matthews and Dante DiVincenzo and Robin Lopez, all, all players who, even if they're not new to the team this year, are playing in some sort of expanded role in the case of Dante DiVincenzo. Because of this depth, I think the Bucks are going to win 55 to 62 games this year. That's what I said when the season started, and I'm going to do that all season long. It's not because I think the Bucks are trying harder than other teams, right? I think we, we accused teams of that in the East when LeBron James was reigning supreme and making the finals every year. When LeBron's team would be the two seed, let's say Indiana was the one or Atlanta was the one, we just say, well, LeBron's not focused on the regular season, right? The Hawks are. The Celtics are. The Pacers are. I don't think that's the case here. I don't think the Bucks are going to overexert themselves to get the one seed or to win 60 games this year. I think they're going to bring a different, more goal-oriented approach in comparison to 2018, 2019. But I don't think it's going to cost them wins. Because I think the Bucks are an incredibly deep team with lots of options, right? Their depth is too good. You have wing options and guard options like Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton, Kyle Korver, who's new to the team this year, right? And you can throw Sterling Brown in there as well, although Sterling Brown can kind of play both ways as a small forward or as a big guard. You do have a a, a big complement of forwards as well. The experienced Ursan Ilyasova, the experienced Robin Lopez, and then you have your young and developing DJ Wilson as well, who can fill a couple different roles. I mentioned Sterling Brown. He is so valuable to the Bucks. He is so valued to the Bucs. And, and it's funny because his playing time, his last couple of years has started really low and he's had to earn it. Every season, he's had to earn it. And if you really want a good piece of perspective on Sterling Brown, I talked about him early on in the show, Bucks Film Room, Brian Sampson, uh, who uses film, analytics, statistics, evidence to really uh, to bring a factual-based approach to covering the Bucks for Forbes. Uh, follow him on Twitter at, at, uh, at Bucks Film Room. And read his piece he dropped it today, Bucks Film Room, Sterling Brown may be key to unlocking potential. It is really fascinating to read about all the different things Sterling Brown does well. Brown, just one of those options on the bench. We're going to be joined by Brian tomorrow night on the Wisco Sports Show as well, so we no doubt going to talk about Sterling Brown. They have so much depth. They have so many different options. There's not a bad choice on that bench. There's not a bad choice. And I think the Bucks they don't have to overexert themselves. They don't have to try too hard to win 60 games or to get a high seed in the Eastern Conference because their depth is going to allow them to beat teams night in and night out without having to overexert Eric Bledsoe 
and Giannis and Chris Middleton when he returns and gets healthy, right? They just won't have to because their depth can carry some of that load in the regular season. Now, that approach changes a little bit in the playoffs, right, in April and in May. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Right now, I would love to know your thoughts, Bucks fans. 608-796-2558. I would love to know how you feel about the Bucks' chances in comparison to the rest of the Eastern Conference. And if we want to bring in the West as well, we certainly can. The NBA standings are... They're funny right now. We're starting to get a decent enough sample size. Most teams playing 13 games, some a little bit less, some a little bit more. Like I said, the Celtics 11-2, and two, the Bucks 10-3. and three. Most teams have played around that number of games. Let's start with the West, and then we'll get more specific with the Eastern Conference. Look, the Lakers are in first place at 12-2. and two. They're winning games at a, at a quick, quick clip. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10. The Houston Rockets are at two, and, and I think are surprising some people. I thought there were a lot of people that thought the Rockets would be kind of a mess, and that hasn't been the case so far. Denver's great. They're 9-3. and three. Now, the Clippers are 9-5. and five. I, I just think that's largely in part to the fact that Kawhi Leonard has missed so many games. Kawhi Leonard's missed a lot of games. I, I don't think the Clippers would be all the way down there if Kawhi was playing, but those are wins. Those are games you can't get back. You can't say, well, Kawhi didn't play. Well, it's still a loss. It's still going to count as a loss at the end of the season in the seeding and in the records. Dallas has been pretty good, mostly on the shoulders of Luka Doncic. They're five. Utah, I think, is maybe slightly underwhelmed at eight and five, but they're integrating some new pieces in, right? They made some acquisitions and some trades, specifically Mike Conley over the offseason, right? Minnesota Timberwolves at seven. Phoenix Suns at eight. So that's your playoff picture. The Kings, my Kings, my Sacramento Kings, on the outside, uh, looking in in the nine seed, they're six and seven. Did you see what Bogdan Bogdanovich did last night? Man, I, I as much as I love the Kings, I, I would also not mind seeing the Kings just kind of tail off and lose a lot of games this year and disappoint because maybe John Horst uh, tries to make a play for Bogdan Bogdanovich. God, that would be a good player to get. God, would be a great player to try to put together a playoff run. But the Western Conference shakes up as that right now. And and look, the Lakers are 12-2. and two, The Rockets 11-3. and three. But if you look at the strength of schedule, right, the strength of schedule comparisons and, and the percentages as the Bucks come in at number one, the most difficult record in the league, right? You see some of these probably elite-level teams like the Lakers. They're in an 11. They've played an average schedule, right? Look at some other teams near the West. Houston has the 25th best strength of schedule in the league, so they have some tough tough stretches coming up, and I know the Lakers are going to have to play the Bucks coming up in December as well. I don't know if I would take the Bucks to lose in a playoff series right now against teams other than the Lakers, I think that would be a great series. The Clippers with a healthy Kawhi and a healthy Paul George are interesting. I just don't know how much we're going to see that this year. I think I'd pick them to beat the Rockets. I think I'd beat them to pick them to beat the Nuggets, certainly the Mavericks, the Jazz. I, I think the Lakers right now, as the teams are currently constructed and playing, are, are the one team that I would maybe doubt the Bucks' chances again in the West. The East is a little bit interesting. I love the Celtics, specifically Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. Not because I think they're elite players, but, but they're difficult players to guard and to game plan for because they're so long. Right? Jason Tatum is so tall and so long, and Jason or Jalen Brown is so big and so long. And, and Kemba is probably a better version of Kyrie for this team and can get some of those other players involved. I, I want to see what Boston does against some elite teams, right? As I said, they've... They have not had a strong schedule so far, and they've been beating up on some really poor teams. But you can only play the teams you're, you're scheduled against. I'm not faulting Boston, but it's a long season. 
Other than that, at this point, I've been underwhelmed by Philly. Toronto has maybe even been a little bit better than I thought coming into this year. I think right now, the only team that I would have doubt and worry if the Bucks matched up with them in a playoff series would be the Lakers and Boston, just because they've shown the ability to win games. Other than that, I think the Bucks have a great fighting chance against really any team in the league. And I think they have a great fighting chance against Boston and Los Angeles as well. But at this point in the season, those, I mean, the Lakers are looking like the best team in the West, maybe in the league. We'll see. It's a long season. And Boston looks really good. It looks like two years ago when Kyrie got hurt and Brad Stevens had that team rolling. It's just, I, I need to see it against some better teams. I need to see him against some better teams because their strength of schedule has not been great. And the midst of this 10-game stretch where they've gone 9-1 and and vaulted themselves to 11-2, and they just haven't had to beat a whole lot of elite teams. And the Bucs had them down by 15. They let it slip away. So I feel I feel great about the Bucs' chances against any team. I'd probably pick them to win. I would make me make it a coin flip against the Lakers, and we'll see with Boston. But I think Milwaukee right now, sitting at 10-3 and and having, up until this point, the most difficult schedule in the NBA... I think you really got to like them. And it, and it might not feel like it, right? The Bucs have, have maybe just felt like, yeah, they're doing their thing. I don't know if we've paid enough attention to them, truly. I, I don't know if, if we have given them enough credit for what they've done, especially since Chris Middleton went down, which I think overall, and I've said this a couple times, I think it's going to be a growing experience for the Bucs that pays off in the long run, assuming he comes back and gets healthy. And, and that's the end of that, right? It's not a lingering injury. It's not a reoccurring injury. I think it makes the Bucs better in the long run. Strength of schedule is important, right? The, the the time and place of these difficult games is important. The Bucks have a couple difficult ones, like the Clippers in early December, right? They play the Lakers and the Sixers both around Christmas, and those are going to be really, really telling games. I think how the Bucks fare in the bright lights against some of these elite teams, uh, whereas the Bucks maybe this year so far have, have flown under the radar a little bit. For example, like Giannis the last two weeks is not one player of the week in the Eastern Conference. Vucevic has won it for the Magic despite averaging like 10 fewer points and a couple fewer rebounds than Giannis. And it was Pascal Siakam two weeks ago. Like, I think the Bucs are slightly flying under the radar, and I'm okay with it because I want the Bucs to win a championship. I don't, need the, I don't need the regular season recognition. I don't need the regular season awards. Although I think it's going to be Harden versus Giannis for the MVP this year, and I think it might be even better than it was last year, which is a... Which is a... Knowing these two players, I guess, shouldn't be surprising, but is a scary thought to what those two players are doing both in the East and in the Western Conferences. We're going to continue to talk about the Bucs, and don't forget, 6.30 tip-off. They visit the Atlanta Hawks tonight, 6 o'clock pregame right when we wrap up. We do got to talk Packers as we're, we're previewing what should be the biggest NFC matchup of the year to date, and it's going to be on Sunday Night Football this upcoming Sunday. Let's talk Packers against 49ers and, and continue a conversation we started yesterday. The biggest matchup of this game. It's not Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy G. It's not LaFleur versus Shanahan. It's something a little bit less glamorous, but oh so important. We'll talk about that coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show. Back in a moment here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. What's up? What's going on? Talking a lot of Bucks basketball, but I, I think it would be irresponsible. It would be negligent to not talk Packers, as I do truly think, trying to be unbiased as a as a Packer fan, but also this year as what feels kind of like a reinvigorated football fan. 
The biggest matchup of the season to date coming up this Sunday night with the Packers and the 49ers on Sunday Night Football. And look, even if you're not a Packer fan, this game has major, major playoff implications, right? For the one seed, for the top of the NFC, and it also might, if indeed the Packers can get a win, it might raise some serious questions about the 49ers losing for the second time in three weeks after starting and and looking invincible for the first portion of their schedule. A lot of implications for this weekend, even if you're not a Packer fan, if you're a fan of any NFC team, or if you're just a fan of football, I think we're going to learn a lot about the Packers. I think we're going to learn a lot about the 49ers this upcoming weekend, and I feel like we have to talk about it. Uh, Over the break, I I was perusing Twitter just a little bit, and Packers fans, we've been trying to keep ourselves entertained over the bye week. Zach Cruz, the editor-in-chief of the Packer Wire, tweeted this out. And Aaron Rodgers, quote, who, by the way, is about to turn 36 years old during the bye week. Uh, this is what he said. Quote, maybe I was a little bit more appreciative of where we're at, at 8-2, and two, and how special the opportunity could be if we take care of business the last six games of the season. Aaron Rodgers taking his bye week to say, you know what? Damn it, I got I to appreciate this. We're 8-2, and two, and if we can take care of business and, and handle what's in front of us, we could have a special opportunity with with possibly a shot at a bye with some home playoff games as I've been emphasizing the last week and a half. I talked to Bart Winkler of the fan yesterday about how important that is. The Packers have never had buys. Aaron Rodgers have only had two buys, right? 2011, 2014, only one home game. That was the Giants game since 2014. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have a chance to set themselves up for a special opportunity, as Rodgers said, right? And, and there's something interesting in that lingo, right? He talks about taking care of business. If you compare Matt LaFleur in the small sample size, 10 games in, right, and compare what he has reiterated and what he has pounded home in press conferences compared to what Mike McCarthy said last year, right? If you remember, the Packers go on that big losing streak. They lose to the Patriots, lose to the Rams. They have that bad stretch on the road in the middle of the season. But they come close in all the games, right? What did Mike McCarthy keep saying? Do you remember? Mike McCarthy would reiterate and he would hammer home. He would say things like this. He'd say, man, it's right there in front of us. You know, we just need to do this, this, and this. We're so close. We're right there. It's right in front of us. What has Matt LaFleur said? What have we heard him say on multiple occasions this season? He said things like, man, this league will humble you real damn quick. As soon as you start to feel confident, as soon as you feel like you're something else, you're all that and and a bag of cheese, right, to use a Wisconsin analogy, you will get humbled and you will lose. Now, I'm not saying Matt LaFleur has a greater sense of urgency than Mike McCarthy did, but it's interesting to hear that vocalized, right? Instead of, we're a great team, we just need to execute. We need to do the little things, and and, and the wins will start to come. Matt LaFleur saying, no, if we're not pedal to the metal, 100% bought in every moment of every day at practice, this league will humble you, and you will find yourself losers very, very quick. An interesting difference, and that that quote reminded me of that over the break, so I wanted to share that. Look, I teased this segment. I wanted to talk about this. The biggest matchup for Packers 49ers this weekend, right? Obviously, Aaron Rodgers and and Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones versus Matt Breida, right? And and what's his last name? Mozart? 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 Right? The backfield of the Niners is the backfield of Green Bay. The running games, the head coaches, Matt LaFleur versus Shanahan. There's a lot of interesting matchups and, and kind of flashy matchups that have been discussed over the last week and no doubt will be discussed tomorrow and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday until the game Sunday night. But I think the most important matchup is going to be the offensive lines versus the defensive lines, both ways. And it and it's interesting that this game, I think, is going to be decided in the trenches because if you remember back to Jim Harbaugh's 49ers teams, where did those teams start? 
right? Where did they begin? They began in the trenches, in the lines. Jim Harbaugh's brand and why he fit so well at Michigan and why I, I think he still fits well at Michigan, and I think people are getting confused a little bit, is because his offensive line and his defensive line are always going to control the line of scrimmage. They're going to pound the ball, and they're going to play smash-mouth football, right? That's what Jim Harbaugh's 49ers did. Now, it became more of a laser light show when Kaepernick got in because he could take advantage of that elite offensive line and, and, and make hay running inside and out. But that's where Harbaugh's 49ers teams, the last time the Niners were really great, that's where those teams started, is in the trenches. And I think that's where this game on Sunday is going to be decided. We talked about a little bit about this yesterday. The pass rush in that elite defensive line, that front four of the Niners, versus the Green Bay Packers offensive line. And when talking about the Packers O-line, it's really tempting to start outside, to start with the tackles, right? Bulaga, Bakhtiari. And you'll often hear people, well, they're the best tackles in the league. Right, when they're healthy, when they're playing well, they're the best tandem in the league. And they and they might be, right? I, I think things like that fluctuate week to week. I think Bakhtiari and Bulaga, you go back to that Bears game in week one or against the Vikings in week two, I think they were really, really good. Now, they've shown cracks. Bakhtiari's like to commit a couple of penalties and Bulaga's performance against Bosa and the Chargers, that was just terrible. But when those two are at their best, they are elite. I'm, I'm not disputing that. Where we need to begin to focus and what we need to talk about a little bit more is the interior of that Packers line. Specifically, Elton Jenkins, and I mentioned yesterday, when looking at offensive guards and their pass block win rate, meaning you're sustaining your block for a certain amount of time every snap, Elton Jenkins is second in the league at 97%. 97%, second to only Marshall Yonda of the Ravens, who might just be the best tackle of this generation. Up until this point, Elton Jenkins has not allowed a sack. He has allowed a sack. At least 500 snaps played, zero quarterback hits, and zero sacks allowed. Elton Jenkins is the only player. The only player on that list. He has been tremendous, and he's a rookie second-round pick that no one knew other than scouts and people who actually studied the draft. Because outside of a, an offensive lineman or two in the first round, our, 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 our knowledge of offensive linemen starts to drop off a little bit, right? Elton Jenkins has been fantastic. And continuing to talk about the interior of that line, Corey Lindsley's been tremendous. You're looking at centers and pass block win rate. He is best in the league at 98%. And it's funny because you know who's second? J.C. Treader, who used to be on the same offensive line with Corey Lindsley, which I think speaks to the, to the way that the Packers can draft and develop and, and, and coach up offensive linemen. Now, the Packers' offensive line still might not be good enough to go up and to match up against that San Francisco defensive line. Maybe. I don't know. I, I got to feel good. Maybe maybe the Niners' defensive front is that great, right? And, and my concern about the Niners is I, I haven't seen them enough against elite competition. Saw them against the Niners, and, and their defensive line made plays, but not enough plays to just single-handedly win them a game like we have seen against some of their subpar uh, opponents throughout the rest of the season, like maybe the Cardinals or like maybe Washington, right? Teams that they've feasted on, Tampa Bay. Teams that they they really beat up on to advance to, what was it, 8-0 or 9-0? I don't remember when they got their first loss. Not important. I want to see that defensive line, right, with Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas and Armstead. I want to see that defensive line match up with those players we just talked about because the tackles are going to have to have a great game. But so are those interior players. Elton Jenkins is going to have to continue. Corey Lindsley is going to have to continue doing what they're doing. Now, on the other side of that coin, because it's not just about Green Bay's O-line, San Fran's is going to be challenged as well. And I was digging in a little bit. We all know that 
Preston Smith is is having a tremendous season, and Zadarius Smith as well. They're both racking up sacks. Preston has 10, right? Zadarius has 8.5. This was a concept I was playing with earlier today when I was trying to figure out, I was like, okay, well, how are we going to tackle this? Because I know I want to touch offensive line versus defensive line. I think the Packers maybe are showing why it's better to have two B-plus pass rushers than one A-plus pass rusher. And look, I would take Khalil Mack on this Packers team in a heartbeat. I wish they would have got him instead of the Bears, right? I'm not denying that. Khalil Mack is a great player. But when you have one elite pass rusher, one A-plus guy, the offense is going to do anything and everything in their power to take him out of the game. And we've seen that a little bit with Chicago. And in the last four games, Khalil Mack has one sack, only four quarterback hits, zero force fumbles. And that's due to in part with how much attention he's getting and Leonard Floyd and hasn't been able to get home and Akeem Hicks has been out. So I'm not blaming Khalil Mack, but the Packers have developed this concept in the front of their defense where Preston and Zedarius can come from different angles. They can come from different positions. That's part of the reason why they cut bait with Mike Daniels in favor for a guy like Preston or Zedarius Smith because they're versatile. Zedarius Smith can line up on the inside. Preston Smith can line up on the inside because they're big, they're long, they're strong. They're not a one-trick pony, maybe limited run-stuffing player like Mike Daniels, as good as he is in that one role. Having two B-plus pass rushers instead of one A-plus gives you a little bit of flexibility. You can scoot guys around, line them up in different places. And it hasn't affected their individual production, right? Preston Smith has 10 tackles, or 10 sacks already. Zadarius Smith has 8.5. And pressures are super important as well. Not just the number of pressures, but the rate at which they are pressuring the quarterback. And while we're looking at at, at, at rankings in the NFL, let's look at top 10 defensive end slash outside linebacker pass rush win rate. TJ Watts, best in the league. Robert Quinn's up there. Takaris McKinley, Tack McKinley with the Falcons, right? Fourth in the league is Preston Smith. Pressuring the quarterback and winning their pass rush 27% of the time. Zadarius Smith is ninth. At 25%. I think it really, really speaks to the strength of the Packers defense to have two pass rushers who get by their blocker and win the play about 25 to 30% of the time. You only got to worry about one guy? Hey, well, now we can scheme for it a little bit. If there's two, makes it a little bit more difficult. And you know why I think this is such a big deal? Not specifically just talking about sacks, although those are meaningful, but looking at pressure rate, Preston Smith 27, Zedaria Smith at 25. This might be the biggest statistic of all. Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, when you compare passer rating to when he is pressured versus when he is in a clean pocket, man, there's a big difference. Jimmy Garoppolo, when he's had a clean pocket to work from, is passing at a rate of 109 and a half. When he's under pressure, 63 and a half. That's a big difference. The Packers, I don't think, need to necessarily rack up the sacks on Sunday night. But if they can pressure Jimmy G at a consistent rate, Jimmy G starts throwing the ball up, throwing in completions, taking sacks. Maybe you get an interception or two. Pressure rate is going to be big on Saturday night. Even if they don't win the sack column, which they very well may not. They very well may not get more than a sack or two on, on Sunday night. But if they can get pressure... You see how Jimmy Garoppolo is affected and that pass rating drops. It's a super important matchup. The lines on Sunday night. The offense and the defensive line. Not, not the betting line. That's going to decide this game. Not the young head coaches, not the quarterbacks, but the offensive and defensive lines. The trenches. 
That's what's going to decide uh, the game on Sunday night. There are not only football games on Sunday night this weekend. Uh, of course, state championship football on Thursday and Friday night. A big piece of news today uh, that was being talked about. I heard it on morning shows. I don't know if Dave and Scrady covered it. I know Bill Michaels talked about it in the afternoon. Did you see what they're implementing for state championship games at Camp Randall this week? Let's talk about that. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Go right into the Bucks pregame with the Bucks Radio Network coming up next year on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Don't forget, coming up in seven minutes exactly, the Bucks pregame is going to get started. They visit Atlanta tonight, tip-off at 6.30. So join Ted Davis, Justin Garcia, and the rest of the Bucks radio network for tonight's game. Bucks at 10-3 and three and playing some pretty good basketball, despite a really tough schedule, like we talked about earlier. Check out all you missed. Check out the Wisco Sports Show podcast at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. Something I wanted to touch on before we wrapped up today, and it's regarding high school football. No, it's not about Holman. We're not going to talk about Central, right, or on Alaska. Uh, but the state tournament, the state championship games, are going to be going down this Thursday and Friday uh, at Camp Randall. Division 7 all the way through 1. Um, some some familiar names like Regis, right, Menasha, who took down Menominee in an absolute barn burner last week in Division 3, Brookfield East, and Wanakee, Bayport, Muskego, right, some familiar names all the way from Division 7 up through Division 1. What's really interesting about this year's state championships, and what I heard Bill Michaels talking about earlier today, is the WIAA apparently announced that instant replay is going to be instituted and used in these games. Now, here's the interesting thing. I combed the WIAA website. I combed it, and I could not find anything on it. The only thing I could find was a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article explaining it. Here's the thing, though. Uh, the Journal Sentinel now is, uh, for online content, is subscription only. And I'm not, I, I'm sorry, I don't have the money, right? I got my, I've got my Lacrosse Tribune uh, subscription, right? I got other bills to pay. I'm already, I'm already reading The Athletic daily. I don't have the money to be throwing around. But I did come up with enough info and enough details to be able to tell you and, and kind of give you a sense of what's going on. Although I'm shocked. You go to the WIA website, that should be up there. Click on the news heading. No, it's not a story. There's not an announcement. There's not anything. But I have the details so we can at least discuss it. So this is basically what it is. They're going to be able to institute instant replay to get calls right on scoring plays, on turnovers, and on egregious errors. Now, (laughs) you might be sitting there and saying, but Grant, what what constitutes an egregious error? I have no clue. You have no clue either. The people who are officiating these games aren't going to have a clue. You cannot leave open-worded language in a rule like that. And whatever. Maybe the WIAA has released an announcement, released a, a release saying what constitutes an egregious error. I can't find it. Right? That major league quote. The hell with it. I can't find it. Right? I, I don't know. Scoring plays, turnovers, and egregious errors. Now, here's my question. What footage are they going to use? Right, It's not going to have the production crew of an NFL game or a college football game. Now, the games are broadcast on uh, Fox Sports Wisconsin. So I'm imagining they're using that footage. I don't know exactly. It's been a couple of years since I've watched high school football uh, for the state for the state tournament. I don't know how many cameras they have. It doesn't look like a home movie, but it's certainly not to the production level and production value of some of these national broadcasts. Here's what I want to know. A couple questions. Who demanded this? 
Like, where was the demand? Where was the where were the people who were saying we want instant replay for state championship games for high school football? High school football. Just speaking off of experience, and this is maybe something we'll we'll have to talk about tomorrow. Just speaking off of experience. I personally find it pretty refreshing when I go work high school football games, whether I'm running the camera or whether I'm broadcasting with Drew for our video live streams at WK2iSports.com and on our mobile app. I, I, I like it. I enjoy it. I find it refreshing because a call is made, and whether you think it's a good or a bad call, maybe the coach barks a couple of things, right? Maybe there's a little bit of a murmur for the crowd, but you move on. And, and that's the nature of things. That's just the way it works. And it's kind of nice. And it looks like sometimes they get some calls wrong or they, they get something backwards. But it happens, and the game moves along. And we don't stop. Nobody goes under the hood, right? There isn't a challenge flag. There's no posturing. There's no, oh, I don't know, Jim, right? You just move on. And it's nice because it's high school football. And at that level, we're not focused on the officiating. We're not supposed to be focused on the officiating, at least. We're not supposed to be focused on the rules. It's about the kids playing the game. Right. So I will ask you, and this is slightly rhetorical seeing we're running out of time here, but when you're sitting at high school football games, whether you you have kids who play or you're just a fan or maybe you are a, a teacher or an employee at a school and you like to go watch for fun, you're sitting at Holman High School or on Alaska or at Central or you're watching a game at, at UWL's Veteran Memorial Field, right? Do you find yourself during the game sitting there and, and, and saying things like, thinking things like, man, I wish we had instant replay. Like, like right there, I, w- I wish we could go back and review that, right? I wish we could challenge that play. I wish we could get a closer look. Are you thinking that a lot? Because when I'm broadcasting games, when I'm watching games and working games, I, I don't often feel that way. And obviously, you want to get calls right. You want to make sure you're right. But, man, we've seen how instant replay has taken over the NFL. And, and now you have coaches' challenges in the NBA. It's it's slightly refreshing in high school football that the call is made and you move on. Yeah, coach might bark about it, crowd might groan, but you move on. And that's the that's the state of things, that's the nature of things. I don't love this. I don't know how often it's going to be implemented. We'll have to watch this weekend. But it's something to keep your eye on if you're going to be tuning in or going to Camp Randall. It might be used. Instant replay. Bucks, Hawks coming up at 6.30, pregame starting in one minute. Have an awesome night. We'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. The Wisco Sports Show, same time, same place. Talk to you then.